Well, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 8. And we'll be in verses 18 to 22 today. Jesus is going to uh, talk to us about the cost of following Him. And I don't know if you've ever thought about um, <clears throat> what it means as a Christian to uh, absorb a cost for following Christ. If you're like me, I, I tend to, like, my mind immediately goes to uh, the disciples that followed Jesus directly uh, and, and how their lives came to an end. I don't know if you've ever, you know, studied any kind of church history, but um, just to kind of go down the list, Peter and Paul were both martyred for their faith. Paul was beheaded. Uh, Peter, he was crucified, and uh, tradition says he was crucified uh, upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. And so uh, they had him turn him upside down. Uh, Andrew uh, went to a place called the land of the man-eaters uh, in what's now the Soviet Union, and he willingly went there to this place. Uh, Christians there, uh, even to this day, claim him as the first one to bring the gospel uh, to their land. He was said to have preached around Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and Greece, uh, where he uh, is said by tradition to have been crucified also because he wouldn't stop preaching. Uh, Thomas was active in an area of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far away as East India. Uh, and there's a group of Christians in East India that uh, revere him as, as their founder, that he was the first one to bring the gospel uh, to East India. And tradition says that he was died there when he was pierced with spears from four different soldiers at the same time. Philip is said to have had a powerful ministry in North Africa uh, and also Asia Minor. And he played a role in converting the wife of a, of a Roman, uh, somebody in authority uh, converted uh, his wife to Christianity. And in retaliation, uh, the Roman uh, guy in authority had Philip arrested and uh, tortured to death. Matthew, who wrote the gospel that we've been in, uh, he was a tax collector, as we know, uh, he ministered, uh, history tells us, in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say that he wasn't min uh, martyred, but most reports say that he was stabbed to death because of his preaching. Bartholomew uh, is said to have had wide missionary travels uh, all around, uh, attributed by tradition. Uh, he was in India for a period of time with Thomas, tradition tells us. Uh, spent time in Armenia and Ethiopia, South Arabia, there were various accounts of how he met his death, but all of them say that he was martyred for the sake of the gospel as well. James, the son of Alphaeus, um, there's some confusion uh, surrounding him, but uh, he is said to have ministered in the region of Syria, and the Jewish historian Josephus reported uh, that he was stoned and clubbed to death. And in the Bible, when they, when they say stone, like they threw rocks at you to try to kill you. Um, Simon the Zealot uh, ministered around the area of Persia, uh, and he was killed uh, because he wouldn't stop preaching after he refused to sacrifice uh, to a false idol. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas, tradition has him around Syria with Andrew as well, and he was burned to death. Horrible, horrible way to die. John was said to have been, uh, they tried to kill him by boiling him alive in a vat of oil, which can't imagine many worse ways to die, but he didn't die. So that's an even worse way to not die, to survive something like that. 
Um, and so they tried to martyr him, and it just, you know, God wasn't having it. And so all of these things, like that's where my mind goes when I think about the cost of following Christ, and I think that there can be a bit of a disconnect uh, because of the time in which we live and the geography in which we live, that we don't really have to worry about those things. We, we don't have to worry about, you know, people coming in on a Sunday morning and hauling any of us away, or we don't have to worry about, you know, neighbors calling authorities on us because we won't stop talking about Jesus. And, and so that's where I think, like, the disconnect can lie. So we, we have a history behind us of people uh, all throughout time uh, in various areas of the world that have been martyred for their faith. And we have to look at that and we have to say, okay, there, there must be something to Christianity if people were willing to give their lives for it, right? It, it's not nothing if people were willing to pay that kind of a cost. But then we have to think about, well, what, what kind of cost do we pay here in, in 2022 in America uh, for being Christians? And, and in comparison, it, it's pretty minor, right? The cost that we might pay is that, you know, maybe people think we're weird or people think that we're, you know, ultra-conservative or, or whatever the case might be. Um, but Jesus, as he does, kind of gets to the heart of the cost of uh, being a disciple of his, and that's what we're going to look at in our passage today. So starting in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus, we know it just healed some people and it attracted some attention, and so um, some people were following him, trying to see what was going on. And in 18, it tells us that when Jesus saw that a crowd gathered around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So they were by a lake, and he was trying to get away from the crowd. Uh, and a scribe came up to him, and he said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we'll stop there for just a moment. So, so the scene is that Jesus had attracted a crowd, and the scribe uh, came to him, and a scribe in Jesus' day was, was kind of a respectable type of a person, respectable type of position, somebody who had standing in society, and the scribe comes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus being who he is, and Jesus knowing what he knows, uh, knows that the best intentions are not always followed through with. Now, the scribe was probably somebody who um, maybe made a good living, uh, had a standing in society, again, respected uh, kind of a person, and Jesus immediately responds to him and says, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. And, and it kind of makes me think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was somebody who, uh, prior to his conversion to Christianity, was, was a respectable guy. He, he was somebody in the world. He, he was revered uh, by people. He was feared by the church. He was a persecutor of the church. Um, Paul was educated, um, had, had an impressive resume. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3, says this. He says that, that we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul's making this argument of, of the standing that he had in the world prior to coming to know Christ. He, he came from, had the right lineage, he did the right things, he had the right education, and he was better uh, at all of these things uh, than people of his day. 
But then he goes on to say in Philippians 3 that whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul, someone who, who stood up and said, I will follow Christ, this is Paul's perspective. I had, I had the world by its tail. I had everything. I had standing. I had education. I had respect. I had it all. And Paul says that, that whatever gain those things were to me, I now count them as, as rubbish. Think like the manure pile is what Paul is saying. Those things don't mean anything to me anymore. And what does mean something to me more than anything is the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So much so that I'll share in the sufferings of Christ, and Paul did. Paul suffered, we know that about him. Many times in his writings, he'll talk about his sufferings. One time was so bad, in fact, Paul went into a town to preach the gospel, and they didn't like what he had to say, and they drug him out of town, and they tried to stone him to death. And and whether he died or not, or, or almost died, he got up and he went back into the town and continued to preach Christ to these people that tried to kill him. He shared in the sufferings of Christ. And Paul's perspective on this is whatever it takes to gain a righteousness that I don't have in and of myself. And it wasn't the sharing in the sufferings that made Paul righteous. It was what Christ did on the cross that made Paul righteous. And Paul understood that to the point where he would give his life in service to get that message out to as many people as possible. And we would look at him today and say he's, he's quite possibly the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known. And this was his perspective. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, Paul would say that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying is that he has this faith that things are going to end the way that Jesus tells us things are going to end. And if that means a little bit of suffering right now, and I say a little bit because in the grand scheme of eternity, the time that we have here, right, our 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it's just a little bit in comparison to eternity. And Paul would say it's worth it. It's worth it to suffer for the sake of Christ in order that we may tell as many people as possible. And so back, back to our narrative with the scribe that comes to Jesus. Jesus knows that this scribe doesn't have this perspective. And as Jesus does, he cuts to the heart of the matter. And, and basically, I, I think he's challenging this guy with his standing in the world. And without saying it, he's saying, are you willing to give up the standing that you have in the world in order to follow me? And we're not told in this passage how the scribe responded to him. We might assume that, that it was a negative response, but, but we don't really know. So Jesus says the foxes have holes, the birds have their nests, but, but I don't have anywhere even to lay my head. Do you want to follow me now, knowing that? Would you walk away from whatever standing that you had in the world in order to follow me? And again, we, we don't know 
what the response was, but, but we can guess. And, and I think Jesus would ask similar questions of us today if He were standing in front of us. Would you be willing to give up what you have in this life in pursuit of the life to come? What's better? Think, think about it this way. Many of us work jobs that we don't like so that we can live better when that job is over. Right? It's a means to an end. Right? We'll work hard, we'll work overtime so that we can save up for the time that we don't have to work. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But just saying that, that we kind of look at sometimes the daily grind as, as a means to an end so we can enjoy our years of not working because we deem it to be worth it. We say that it's worth it in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s and in your 50s to work hard so that you can take it easy in your 60s and your 70s and beyond. And it's worth it. And I think Jesus is challenging us with that. To, is it worth it? to endure some suffering? Is it worth it to pay a cost today, here and now, in pursuit of eternity? Is it worth it? Have we thought about that? Have you thought about if it's worth it? We can't, we can't fathom eternity. We're, we're finite beings, right? We have a beginning and we have an end and we, we have capa- limited capacities. We, we can't even wrap our minds around eternity. We can't wrap our minds around forever, <laughs> But, but the little bit that maybe we can understand eternity, is it worth it to consider whatever we have in this world suitable for the rubbish pile in order that we may gain Christ and all the things that come along with Christ? We're told in Ephesians 2 that, that He will spend eternity pouring out His riches in kindness towards us. We, we, we can't even begin to fathom, can't begin to fathom it. So we don't know how the scribe responded, but after the scribe came then, another of the disciples, it tells us in verse 21, came to Jesus and he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now Jesus is known to have said some harsh things in his time, and and this might be one of them. Now, theologians are kind of divided on what this guy might have been asking there's a, a few possibilities here. It's possible that, that this man's father may have just died recently, and this guy was saying, like, I need to go you know, take care of you know, burying my father. You know, like, give me a day or two to go take care of this and, and make the arrangements. Um, it's possible that, um, that the man's dad was sick and, and maybe on his way out. Could, could have been weeks or months, you know, longer period of time. Uh, or it could have been that, that maybe the, the man's dad wasn't sick at all, and he's saying, well, when I, after I get my family kind of situated, maybe years down the road, let me meet my family obligations first. This seems to be maybe the more likely scenario that this man was saying. I have other things to do, Jesus, before I would follow you, is maybe what he's saying. And Jesus responded by saying, follow me, not, not follow me later, not follow me after you get your life situated. Just follow me. Like the idea is, is now, immediate. Stop what you're doing right now and follow me. Leave the spiritually dead, he would say, to bury the actual dead. I don't think Jesus was uncompassionate about you know, a man's family situation or a son's obligation right, to take care of, of those kinds of things. I don't think he's uncompassionate about that at all. It would seem that what this man is saying is I've got more important things to do. 
And when I get those things taken care of, then I'll follow you. And I think we can all relate to that. There's a lot of things that are important in this life that we need to take care of. And maybe chief among them would be making sure our parents are situated as their life comes to an end. Just the way that the world works, it's what kids do for their parents as they age. And the call of Jesus is immediate uh, and now. In Luke 14, Jesus had this to say, Luke 14, starting in verse 25, says that great crowds had accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. More harsh words of Jesus. Very definitive words of Jesus. Unambiguous words of Jesus. Clear words of Jesus. And and I, and I look at this and I think, okay, the, so the Bible tells us that, that God, not, not that He's loving, although He is, but like God is love. And the God who is love is telling us right here that if we don't hate our father and our mother and our wife and our children and our brothers and our sisters and even our own life, that we cannot be His disciple. <laughs> what in the world is going on here? The God of love is saying that we have to hate the things that we hold most dear in this life including our own life. I think what Jesus is speaking of here is an allegiance. Where where does our allegiance lie? Does our allegiance lie in the things of this life, or does our allegiance lie to the things of eternity and to Christ? And if our allegiance lies with Christ, then the famous songwriter tells us that the things of this earth as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Well, what, what does this look like? And I, and I think of, as I was studying this a couple of weeks ago, I, just people that I know in my own life came to mind as examples of what this might look like. A few weeks ago, we, we had the Browns here, who, who I have only recently met, but have heard about them for a long time. And they're people who have given up their retirement years to, to spend time in a foreign country, to live in a foreign country among foreign people, and even fund some of what they do out of their own pocket. Like there's a literal cost there to what they're doing. And they've chosen to, to spend their retirement years taking the gospel to people in places who desperately need it. Think of a woman I know named Kathy Vaughn. Kathy is, uh, uh, she grew up with my parents. Like I've known her my whole life, right? Um, we go back a long ways with her family. And uh, she has chosen to spend her retirement years taking her skills as a nurse uh, to Uganda, Africa. And she lives full-time in Uganda. 
Kathy has uh, five kids that all live here in Central Oregon, and her kids all have a bunch of kids, and so she's got a mess of grandkids, um, probably 15 or more, and her prime grandma years are now devoted to uh, women in Uganda, Africa, uh, who are coming out of abusive situations, children who are coming out, or orphans, and she's chosen to spend her life doing that when, when she could be here being a grandma with all of her grandkids. There's a cost that she's willing to absorb. And her attitude, she told me one day, all of her kids are, are believers, and she just said, I've got all eternity to spend with my family. <laughs> got all eternity. Think of another guy, uh, Steve Bergsing. Steve was part of our uh, fellowship in Lapine for many, many years. And Steve, is a, he's a disabled vet. I mean, he gets around. He's not in a wheelchair or anything like that, but he's got some problems because of his service in Vietnam and things that he suffered there. And about 15 years ago, he read an ad in a, a, a publication for this orphanage in Cambodia. He just saw an ad, and he just, because of his service over there, he's got a heart for that part of the world, and he just thought to himself, huh, I should go there and see what that's all about. And so Steve bought a plane t- ticket. One, He didn't call anybody. He just bought a plane ticket, and he goes to Cambodia, and he shows up at this orphanage. This is, and if you know Steve, this is perfectly Steve. And he knocks on the door, and he just says, hey, my name's Steve. I'm here to help. What can I do? And he didn't move over there full-time. Um, he's not able to, to, you know, ADA is not really a thing uh, in Cambodia, and so he's not able to be there full-time. Uh, but he would go over there and still, uh, still does uh, for a month or two at a time. And he's downsized his life so that he can have more money to help support these orphans. And he's been supporting some of these orphans for 15 years now that he's seen them kind of age out of the orphanage, and, and he's funded college for some of them. Not, not expensive over there to do, you know, 500 bucks will get you college over there. And he's chosen mostly living over here, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a trek for him every time he goes to Cambodia. And every time he goes to Cambodia, I'm thinking, is this the time that he's going to die over there? When I first met him, um, when I first came to our church in Lapine, I realized, like, I may have to go retrieve him one day because he's, he's going to go over there and he's just not going to come back. I asked him one day, and I'm not going to share the number because he would be embarrassed, but I just asked him, like, how, how much money do you give to this orphanage? Just because I could see just there's this constant outflow to him. Um, and it's a big number, and he's not a wealthy man at all. He lives on his Social Security disability income, and a good chunk of it goes to support the work over there and to see kids come to Christ. Think of Glenn and Stacy, who... Um, you know, have chosen to spend some, their retirement years traveling, right, to, to Africa to train pastors to, to meet a desperate need and, and getting support, but funding some of that even out of their own pocket, absorbing the cost to get to do that. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, God, you know, God hasn't called me to be a missionary, right? Not, not everybody is, and that, that's okay. These are just, you know, people I personally know that examples that, you know, have come to my mind. Some of you might be uncomfortable right now thinking, well, has God called me to hop on a plane and cross an ocean? Maybe, (laughs) maybe, and you ought to consider it, right? If you're questioning it right now, like maybe God's calling you to do that and to absorb that cost. But I think of another uh, friend of mine who's a pastor, Pastor Jeremy up in Madras, close friend of mine, and and like me, he's got a day job, he's bivocational, uh, and he works in higher education. And we had a conversation just about a week ago about the things coming down in higher education with ideologies that are being promoted. 
and things that, that there's going to come a point for him where he's going to say, like, I can't do this anymore. And, and that point might not be too far down the road with things that they're requiring of him because of his job in higher ed. So his, his cost isn't necessarily hopping on a plane and crossing an ocean. His cost is, is maybe career because of his convictions as a Christian to say that I can't support that. That's a little bit harder of a decision. It's, it's not so bad to, um, you know, maybe be a, a part-time, you know, mission, take a missions trip here and there, right? That, that's doable. This may be a career change for my buddy Jeremy because of this. The cost of following Christ. So I guess part of what I want to do today is try to erase the disconnect that comes with, you know, thinking about being martyred because at least right now that's, that's not something that we really have to worry all that much about. It may come someday, but, but we're, we're not there now. But what hasn't changed is Christ saying to all of us throughout all of time, every person that's ever lived, like the call of Christ is to follow Him. It, it was the call 2,000 years ago to the disciple that came to Him and said, I've got more important things to take care of. Christ responded and said, follow me. And it's the same thing that He would say to us today in the busyness of our lives and all the things that we have to do He's still saying, follow me. Follow me in the midst of all of this. Back to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 again, because Paul has, I think, just the right perspective on this. It's difficult to give up things to follow Christ. It's difficult. But Paul would say this in, in Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things." But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body with a power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, to shorten that up, Paul's saying it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Christ at whatever the cost is. Whatever it costs you here and now, it's worth it in eternity. It's worth it. And so he says, Join in imitating me. Join. Let's look at the example of these people that we know who have gone before us. In Hebrews 11, we have what we often call the hall of fame of faith. And we have this whole chapter devoted to listing people that paid a cost in service to God. Names that we would recognize like Abraham and like Moses and Noah, Samson, David, 
stories that, that we're probably familiar with if you've uh, studied the Bible for any amount of time. But then there's this, this other set of names in Hebrews 11, a group of people where it says of them, some of them, they set armies to flight and they did great things in God's name. And some of them, also in God's name, were eaten by lions and sawn in two. <laughs> it didn't work out so well for that group of people. And it says specifically of that group of people, we don't even know their names. It says that the world isn't even worthy of those people because of the cost that they paid in service to God. And so we take from that that, that you know, we all are going to have kind of different experiences in following Christ. Some, some of us have a tough road to hoe. Some of us might not have too difficult of a road. But the call of Christ is still follow me. It's not follow me and hope that it's easy. It's not follow me and it will be easy. We're not promised that. It's not follow me until it gets too hard for you. It's just simply follow me right here, right now. Don't wait for anything. You don't have to get your life together. You don't have to tend to it. Like follow me now. And in this call to follow Jesus, Jesus knows perhaps better than anybody the cost that comes in service to God. And we're told by the Apostle Paul, by Jesus, like, it's worth it. It's worth it when we look to eternity. I think of the famous missionary Jim Elliott. He has a famous quote maybe you've heard before. But Jim Elliott says this. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And what Jim is saying is that the things of this life, like we're not taking it with us. It's not going upward with us. And so it's a foolish thing to, to fight, to hang on to those things if the ultimate cost of that is not getting something that we can never lose, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. When we belong to Christ, when we're, when we're in His grip, He doesn't let go of us. Jesus tells us that he, he won't lose any and all of whom the Father has given Him. And so we're secure as followers of Christ in our salvation. And it's a foolish thing to chase temporal things at the expense of eternal things, if that makes sense. So, so I guess what I would ask you to consider today is the, the call to follow Jesus and, and what that looks like and, and what, what the cost of that might be to you. Um, even wrestling with what the cost of that might be to you and, and coming to a point of saying, okay, it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it to follow Christ, whatever the cost. And I say that knowing that, that sometimes like the cost is difficult. Sometimes the cost might be relationships with people that you care about. Sometimes the cost might be like my friend Jeremy, a career. So sometimes the cost just might, might be you know, money going in, in another direction out of pocket and, and, and not spending money on what you would rather spend money on in order that, to help accomplish things that, that matter in the scope of eternity. And we have in this the, the perfect example, of, of course, in Christ, right? Who, who gave his life 
we're told, as a ransom for many. Right? The, the King of kings, the, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who spoke creation into existence came not, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to pay a cost so that you know, we could come to him. And he simply says, follow me, follow me. So, so I, would, I would challenge the, the Christians in the room to consider Again, even if you have already the cost of following Christ. And I would challenge the non-Christians in the room that if you've never heard this call to follow Christ, he's calling you today to follow him. To follow him, understanding that contrary to what some would preach, it doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean health and wealth and prosperity to follow Christ. It might mean like the Apostle Paul kind of the giving up of all the things in this life for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And so he's calling all of us to, to follow him, whether for the first time or to reconsider what that might mean uh, to follow Christ. And so I would just simply ask you to consider that. And if you'd like to have a conversation with, with one or all the pastors, we're glad to have a conversation about what that might look like for you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Father, we're thankful today. <clears throat> thankful that you love us enough that you were willing to pay an ultimate price, an ultimate cost <clears throat> in service to the plan of the Father so that us wretched sinners could come to know you. So I would ask that you would help us today as we consider uh, whether for the first time or, or the hundredth time, the, the cost of following Christ, that you would help us to understand as much as we're able to as finite beings, as much as we're able to look to eternity, that you would help us to understand the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and that it's worth it. It's worth it to, to pay whatever the cost in this life for the life that's to come. And God, help us to be people that... Um, continually put that message out there and all that we do to those around us that, that we would participate in the calling of others to follow Christ. And we ask it in your name. Amen.